I'll make our government open and transparent. Tired of being lied to by Washington? Tired of being hoodwinked by the mainstream media? The press is so dishonest. Then go to 21stCenturyWire.com for the very best U.S. and international news and analysis. Also for premium reports, podcasts, videos, and documentaries, subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv. Visit www.21stCenturyWire.com. I'm John, a volunteer at United Way. I'm here at Lincoln Elementary School to find out what this place needs. Who knows better about what kids need than kids, right? Let's ask them. Monsters! Lasers! A pool! Another guinea pig! More lasers! Sprinkles! I was thinking more spinach at lunchtime and maybe more exercise. Nah. Uh Nuh-uh. Lasers are cool. When it comes to creating healthier communities, what this place needs is you. To donate or volunteer, go to unitedway.org. Because great things happen when we live united. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Don't touch that dial. Independent Talk, 1100 KFNX. This is Patrick Henningsen Live. Brought to you by 21stCenturyWire.com. And now, breaking down the news in ways no one else will, here's Patrick. All right, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Patrick Henningsen Live. We're broadcasting to you on Independent Talk, 1100 KFNX. Over the AM frequency here throughout Greater Phoenix and Central Arizona and globally on 1100KFNX.com. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Great to have you with us this evening. This hour of overdrive, later than last two weeks. We were in a later slot this week, uh, but it was brought to you by 21stCenturyWire.com and 21Wire.tv. Go there for all your news views and analysis and also a big shout out to our internet stream listeners on TuneIn app speaker app and of course the loyal and bodacious crew at alternatecurrentradio.com and uh we uh, had a week off this past sunday i was on the road uh in an exotic location i don't want to get too much into that but suffice to say uh i visited a country that's uh, on the travel ban list uh that was very interesting uh, i was in iran that's right, Iran, I'll say it again, <laughs> in uh, Central Asia, uh, just on the uh, rim of the Middle East uh, for an international, international affairs conference uh, over there and uh, talk about stereotype busting. Uh, that was uh, quite an eye-opener, uh, but uh, hence we were off, off the air on Sunday, ran a rerun at uh, Sunday Wire at 21stCenturyWire.com. We'll be back in action this week. And this week as well, uh, we are catching up on the news. We're going to have a, a great guest uh, who we're going to have waiting in the wings. Actually, he'll be with us in a couple of minutes. Uh, but before we uh, go to that, I uh, just want also to say what an extraordinary time last night watching the uh, joint congressional session, uh, President Donald Trump. I say president because uh, it's probably the first sighting we had of a presidential trump last night uh all accounts are on both sides of the aisle uh that good reviews uh approval ratings up to uh above 60 percent in some polls orc poll putting up in the high 60s plus stock market rallies after donald trump's uh speech so make of that what you will ladies and gentlemen so it seems that our president has finally found his presidential voice uh, how long can he hold it for and maintain it? That's the uh, the big question uh, on everybody's mind uh, in the Beltway and beyond. But uh, certainly um, we had a house divided, uh, make no mistake. 
this is a house divided. Uh, and bringing that together is going to take uh, a lot of work. Uh, it may never come together. Uh, but I think the bottom line right now is that uh, the country needs to get on with the business of governing. Will it happen? Uh, will the obstacles be thrown in the way? Is the partisan divisions just too great? Uh, is there a crisis in American politics? We're going to answer all these questions uh, with our first guest, uh, who we will connect in just a minute. Just a couple of headlines that uh, we want to direct your attention to. Uh, one of them is... This is quite an extraordinary story. Uh, the ancient city of Palmyra uh, in Syria, significant on so many levels historically. Uh, the Syrian army, we believe, has retaken some key positions and may be uh, overtaking ISIS uh, in Palmyra. The sad part about this story is uh, the ancient amphitheater, uh, it, the facade has been completely destroyed by ISIS. Uh, this is part of the agenda, if you're not aware of it, uh, is to destroy uh, historical uh, and world heritage sites. Uh, this is part of the uh, ISIS agenda, and whoever is backing ISIS uh, want to see an erasing of history uh, in this part of the world. And it's very sad, but on the positive note, uh, Syria has made incredible advances there. So we'll keep an eye on that. There's an update and, and also a battle map up at 21stCenturyWire.com and uh, also a video. Uh, footage as well, uh, courtesy of Rupley uh, News Agency. Uh, and also, um, Tulsi Gabbard is uh, in the news again. Uh, if you watched CNN last night, she was there uh, with the aunt of uh, the uh, Ellen Kurdi, the boy that washed up on the beach uh, in Turkey. Uh, this was at the height of the migrant crisis. And uh, I think her name is uh, Tima Kurdi. She was there with Tulsi Gabbard at the uh, Capitol building after the joint congressional session, and she gave a stunning statement, and uh, it, was, it was lost on a lot of the mainstream media, but basically Tulsi Gabbard said on national TV, if you want to help the refugees, stop arming terrorists in Syria. That's right, stop arming terrorists, and we're talking about our government, our allies, and also our Gulf state partners uh, who have been consistently uh, arming and supplying weapons, lethal weapons, to listed and recognized international terrorists in Syria. That's a huge problem, and uh, according to Representative Gabbard from Hawaii, this is one of the things that is fueling uh, these, this conflict. And this is something you're not going to hear, especially in the last uh, town hall meeting with uh, John McCain and Lindsey Graham tonight. You didn't hear any commentary on this at all. So here we have a U.S. representative who is a Democrat, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, she has solutions. She is thought it through. She has also tabled a piece of legislation, Stop Funding Terrorist, Stop Arming Terrorist Act. Uh, will this bill be adopted uh, by this House or Senate? Uh, that remains to be seen. I'm not holding my breath, uh, but I'm just saying that is a very brave stance that she's taken. We applaud that. Now, we're going to connect our next guest. Uh, our next guest is an author. Uh, he's got a book out uh, it's just been released uh, this week. The 2016 Elections and the Crisis of American Liberalism. And his name is Caleb Maupin. And he is also a correspondent for RT International. Uh, he's also based in New York right now. But he is a roving correspondent. He's, you'll see him all over the country uh, if you do watch uh, RT on the Global Satellite uh, or on DISH uh, here in the United States. 
And uh, we got Caleb hopefully on the line. Are you there, Caleb? I am here. Glad to be on your show. It's fantastic to have you, Caleb, uh, and uh, esteemed guest, I should say, because I do enjoy watching your reports uh, every week uh, on RT. I think you're one of the best uh, on the ground correspondents. Uh, definitely, that network has had to date. Um, so, congratulations on the election season. You survived, Caleb. Uh, you made it through this uh, meat grinder of the 2016 elections. So you had a unique. Uh, we'll talk about your book, Caleb. But first off, you know you're riding shotgun on this election season, really, because you're on the road. I saw you out in the West Coast. You're in California. Then I see you in the Rust Belt. Then I see you in West Virginia. Then in New York. You're everywhere. You really covered a lot of ground this past election. How how was this experience for you as a journalist, Caleb? Well, this wasn't like any election we've had in in recent years. Uh, The political discourse in the U.S. has rapidly expanded. Millions of people in this country are are pretty adamant that things are not going well and that they really want to see things change. And furthermore, they're willing to look outside of the mainstream political perspective for those answers. You know, they talk about a lot of young people, millennials. You know, there's this whole thing about millennials, lazy young people. Well, the millennials that I spoke to were were very, very willing to do their own research, ask tough questions. And and this country is not going to look the same uh, after this election. And it's not going to look the same in five or ten years. A lot of people are really upset about the fact that wages are going down, the standard of living has dropped, civil liberties are being taken away, uh, so many, so much frustration and so much anger coming from all kinds of places in the political spectrum. And it really kind of boiled over into this huge electoral upset. No one saw it coming. No one thought Donald Trump was going to win. But he won mainly because people saw him as, as an opponent of the political establishment. And, and it was quite a shocking story, and it was pretty amazing to travel to different parts of the country and talk to people, people on the far left, people on the far right, just people everywhere, just, you know, ordinary working class folks, how they feel about politics. It was it was quite a year, and I don't think anyone saw it coming. And this is just the beginning. I don't think this, this roller coaster election means that we're all just going to settle down. I think politics in this country is rapidly intensifying. No, absolutely, and uh, we're we're going to take a, a commercial break in a minute. But we got about a minute before the break. Before that, Caleb, just tell us, you know, what was the one moment uh, that that really still stands out in your mind uh, with all the miles you did across the country for this election season? What what was the one moment that really stuck stuck in your mind and made a big impact? Well, I'll say when I went to my home state of Ohio, you know, I'm originally from Ohio, that's where I'm from, but when I returned to my home state of Ohio, and I went to southern Ohio, and I walked through the town, uh, it was an area called Clinton County, ironically, because it was a stronghold of Trump supporters, and I spoke to people there about, about why they felt so passionately about supporting Trump, and almost all of them told me it's because there's a lot of very rich and powerful people who don't care about us, who simply don't care about us, and it's time for for working families to to fight back. It was odd, because I was hearing from people who identified as right-wing and were supporting a right-wing candidate, but I was hearing the kind of stuff you heard from the radical left, you know, workers of the world unite, workers struggle, class struggle. It was very interesting, and it shows how rapidly political discourse in the U.S. is shifting. Wow. We're going to talk about that and much more. I'm here with Caleb Maupin, roving correspondent for RT International. We're here at KFNX Independent Talk. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Stick around. We'll be right back after these messages.
Independent Talk, 1100 KFNX. I have the answer. Are you one of the Americans whose real spendable income has declined 5%? Are you now feeling the slow financial drain? I have the answer. Enjoy the same high-quality lifestyle services you now have and pay less of your money for them. I told you, I have the answer. Every sharp person understands the value of making the deal. You need to step up to the plate. You need to make the deal. Resources are now available for you. Starting to believe? I have the answer. Successful Americans are now increasing their income by using changing legislation and technology expediently. Proof? The world's largest retailer doesn't have a single storefront. I have the answer. Cut expenses and increase income. Call 317-934-0079. 317-934-0079. I have the answer. 317-934-0079. Low libido, erectile dysfunction, pain, chronic inflammation, stubborn weight loss, cellulite, belly fat, and heart attack are only a few issues from metal toxicity and nutritional deficiencies. Mercury from dental fillings, lead from lipstick, aluminum from cookware are just a few causes of metal poisoning. Find your risks with a hair analysis. Call Healthy Habit, 6029 North 7th Street in Phoenix. For testing, call 602-252-6000. That's 602-252-6000. Would you like to expand your business? I'm Francis Battaglia, president of Independent Talk 1100 KFNX. KFNX is one of the most cost-effective and powerful ways to get your message out, reach potential customers, and grow your business. Advertise for only $10 per 30-second spot on top shows like Laura Ingram and Michael Savage. Call me at 602-277-1100, extension 1463. 602-277-1100, extension 1463. Log on and listen live. 1100kfnx.com. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Patrick Henningsen here at Independent Talk 1100kfnx. And I'm here with my guest, Caleb Maupin, roving correspondent for RT International. And the book out this week entitled The 2016 Election, The Crisis of American Liberalism. And, uh, Caleb, you know, you're, you've got an interesting background and, you know, uh, some people might look at your reports. I know you're very, uh, you're very objective, uh, in your reports, uh, for the most part. You're not predictable at all, which I think makes, makes your reports really interesting. But, uh, so you were involved in early on in the Occupy Wall Street movement and then you're seeing this phenomenon happen right now in 2016. And it, to me, it's indicative of the rapid change uh, that's going on, the quickening of uh, change and the seismic tectonic shifts in American politics. And that brings us to 2017. I mean, just give us a little bit of a, a background there. I mean, because you're not you're not a, I wouldn't class you as a classic conservative. Uh, maybe you're more uh, sort of on the, uh, the the left traditional left side. How is left? wing politics changing in america and i know this is something you touch on in your book and where are we heading right now well that's that's a very interesting question because in in a lot of my writing and especially as i was traveling around the country during the election you had to start asking yourself what does left and right really mean i mean for example i met a number of people that were for bernie sanders until he was defeated by hillary clinton and then they were for trump 
And they didn't see a contradiction in that. They saw uh, Sanders as an anti-establishment candidate fighting against what he called the billionaire class and the 1%. And they saw Trump also as an anti-establishment candidate fighting against the billionaires and the 1%. And so they, uh, you know, they were, they did, they didn't have a problem with that. And it seems like, like, you know, there's more of a difference, I would say, between the mainstream and the political elite and the establishment than there is than there is in people that are against it. I, I think that ideology is becoming less and less relevant. You know, the title of my book, I talked about the crisis of American liberalism. Let's talk about what liberalism is, because that word gets kind of very, very broadly used and kind of thrown around. Liberalism is a philosophy that comes out of the Enlightenment, you know, the, the time of you know our revolution here in the United States, the French Revolution, and it end of, emphasizes the individual above all else. You know, in terms of, of, of society, that means, you know, social freedom and individualism people can make their own choices and in terms of economics it means it means capitalism uh, and it means markets and if you look at our political system and the, the, the message that, that most mainstream politicians are putting out they're putting out individualism now the left emphasizes the the social side of liberalism they want things like gay marriage and and you know the legalization of drugs and the political right emphasizes the free market aspect of liberalism but they're essentially preaching the same ideology which is that it's you against the world it's the individual above all else and that perspective is in crisis because if you listen to both the far left and the far right both of them in essence are saying no you know we got to get rid of this individualism we got to start thinking about all of society we can't have we can't have a society where it's every man for himself and and people just trying to make profits and who cares about society as a whole there needs to be some community obligation and that seems to be a very common theme that we're hearing and it really seems to be that that american liberalism whether it's like left social liberalism or right yeah economic liberalism is facing a crisis uh... people people are worried about society and there needs to be some kind of collective action to address the crisis that we're facing that was a sentiment that i heard so frequently yeah so this is kind of individualism versus a sort of a need for a collective approach uh, to solving problems. And there's this cynical acceptance, uh, Caleb, I think over the years, this malaise that set in in American politics where you, you go through this ritual, uh, every four years or every two years and uh, candidates make promises and those, so often those promises aren't uh, followed through and people sort of accept that this is just politics as usual. And so, and this is very much to, to me associated with uh, the, the the left right paradigm, and so is is the left right paradigm in in terms of political representation, um, and not what you were talking about before, which is kind of on the ground with real people. But in terms of politics, is it dead? Is, is the left right paradigm dead now? Is it, it does it need to be redefined? And did Donald Trump kill it? Well, I wouldn't say that Donald Trump killed it, but I would say that the circumstances that we're in killed it. Because the thing that Hillary Clinton had going against her, the reason that so many people did not vote for her, one thing that, that, that was what she had going against her is she was the symbol of the establishment. And that establishment is, is largely seen as not something that's like an American establishment, but more of an international establishment. Uh, on the broadcast earlier, you were talking about some of our, our quote-unquote allies in the Middle East, You know, whether that be the Qatari monarchy, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain and these these societies are not democratic. Let's let's be be honest about that. These are absolute monarchies, but they're absolute monarchies with lots and lots of oil. Um, and and if you look at, at these regimes, are tied in with 
very extreme uh, Wahhabi elements that are trying to topple the Syrian government. Um, and Hillary Clinton, throughout her campaign, and the Clinton Foundation received millions of dollars from these monarchies, you know, these, these very authoritarian but well-connected to big oil companies regimes. And, and I think, you know, there's all this talk about Trump's connection with Russia. I would say I'm far more worried, and I would say most Americans that I spoke to are far more worried about Hillary Clinton's connections with these, these autocratic, brutal, repressive... I mean, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, that's the only country in the world where they're still beheading people, right? I mean, this is a country where you can get your head cut off for insulting the king. Uh, and, and we have a politician, uh, a leading politician, a very powerful figure in the Democratic Party, the, the Democratic nominee, who's getting millions of dollars from them from, from her foundation. Uh, that's something that that's something that that worries people. And if you look at it, who is it? Who is it that we're attacking in the Middle East? Who are we're the main enemies per se of the United States? You know, the USA is working to topple the Syrian government, the Syrian Arab Republic. Right? This is a country that has elections. This is a country where Christians and Sunnis and Alawites and Druze and different religious groups can live together in peace, and and where they have a government, a uh, central government that, that respects the right of religious minorities. Um, and it's being toppled by forces backed by autocratic monarchies who are trying to set up a, a Wahhabi extremist government. Something about that doesn't sit right. Um, and, and again, you know, if you compare the Islamic Republic of Iran, another country that has elections, has a constitution, it has a Christian community, which openly practices. I've been to Iran. I attended church on Sunday morning in downtown Tehran. Uh, you know, uh, you compare that to Saudi Arabia. Something, something, something is not right here. Uh, you know, and Trump, throughout his campaign, he continued to say, America first, America first. And there, was, there is a broad feeling, wherever you go in this country, that somebody else has the power. You know, that, that the, the people of the country are not coming first. That there is some kind of international elite uh, that has a lot, of, a lot of wealth and a lot of influence. Um, that, that would be one aspect of the, the changing political climate in the United States that I observed. Yeah, you made a, you brought up a great point. I mean, just back to the uh, the international scope. I think part of the crisis on the left right paradigm is um, I can speak uh, on the on the left side, uh, having been you know involved in the kind of anti war uh, movement back in uh, two thousand two uh, internationally uh, over in Europe. Uh, this this idea of Syria, this the, the relationships between. Uh, the U.S. government and the Gulf states. Um, the, the, the people on the left, Caleb, they used to be against military intervention, uh, and it seems like in the last few years they've turned a blind eye to to the Gulf state uh, human rights uh, abuses and so forth, and are cheering on an intervention in Syria and are clamoring for a war with Russia. It's the most bizarre turn of events. Uh, in terms of the, the, you know, the global left, as it were, the internationalist left. Um, you know, what's your read on this? I think well, it's extraordinary. It's interesting. You know, in certain left-wing circles, if you say the name George Soros, you get this, you know, people roll their eyes. What? Oh, we're all being paid, right? How dare you say George Soros? But anyone who's a political leftist should know who George Soros is. He's a very real person. This is a person who bankrolled the overthrow of the Eastern Bloc. He essentially supplied money to dissidents in Czechoslovakia and in the Soviet Union and, and in East Germany and various places and, and worked with the forces that eventually toppled the Soviet Union and the various governments in the Eastern Bloc. This is a, somebody who was coordinating his donations to so-called activist organizations with the CIA and was trying to bring down governments 
that were targeted. You know, we talk about color revolutions, but these are revolutions paid for with foreign money. Like the USA doesn't like a government. Uh, they, they pay some people to go out and protest and create a crisis, and the government's brought down, right? So every, everyone who's a leftist or an anti-war activist should know who George Soros is. And, and there is, there are a lot of people in the government and in the CIA who do have a somewhat left or liberal or democratic party perspective. Now, a lot of times in left-wing circles you get this assumption that everyone in the police, everyone in the military, everyone in the CIA, everyone on Wall Street, they're all just Republicans and, and, and the Democrats or the, the movement of the people or something. And they're fooling themselves. They really are fooling themselves. I mean, the, the CIA, you have the people who've gone to Harvard, and Yale and the most the most expensive universities and carefully studied the art of trying to expand U.S. influence around the world. And at, often at times they're at loggerheads with the military because the military isn't studying the art of public relations and how to how to craft and spread influence. They're they're studying more the you know the tactics and the the, the engineering of just kind of attacking and blowing things up. But you're absolutely right when you talk about how so many forces. To so many forces on the political left. Now there are some exceptions. There are some 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 hard anti-imperialist forces. But aside from them, most of the left does cheer. It cheered for the toppling of Gaddafi. I mean, Libya had the highest life expectancy on the African continent. It was one of the most prosperous countries in that region, and and it was bombed to bits. And you had the left cheering for it like it was a glorious revolution. You know, there was a picture of some protester in Libya wearing a Che Guevara shirt, and that proved that this was a glorious uprising. Hold I that thought. Hold that thought. I'm here with Caleb Maupin, international correspondent for RT. We're talking about American politics. We're talking about the crisis of American liberalism. We'll be right back after these messages. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Stay right there. Attorney General Jeff Sessions reportedly had contact with Russia's ambassador to the U.S., something he didn't disclose during his confirmation hearings. The Washington Post, citing Justice Department officials, reports that one of the meetings took place in Sessions' office in September. Sessions also reportedly spoke with the Russian ambassador in July at the Republican National Convention. Sessions was one of Mr. Trump's foreign policy advisors at the time. Meanwhile, during a CNN town hall meeting, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham says more needs to be learned about the Trump campaign's ties to Russia. If there is something there and it goes up the chain of investigation, it is clear to me that Jeff Sessions, who is my dear friend, cannot make this decision about Trump. So there may be, not, there may be nothing there, but if there's something there that the FBI believes is criminal in nature, then for sure you need a special prosecutor. A great day on Wall Street as the Dow today closed up 303, the S&P gained 32. I'm Elliot Francis. From the KFNX Weather Bug Weather Center for tonight, clear the low 44. Thursday, sunny, warming up 76. Thursday night, warmer, clear again, but the low 51. Friday, sunny and warm and high 80. Friday night, mostly clear, the low 53. I'm Keith Langloss from the KFNX Weather Bug Weather Center. Currently in downtown Phoenix, it's 64 degrees. Independent Talk, 1100 KFNX. 
Hey everyone, this is Ken Beckrick, owner of Online Trading Academy Phoenix. One of my students recently told me that Online Trading Academy is the best kept secret in the valley. Well, let me tell you, if you're a business owner, the last thing you want is for your business to be a secret in the community it serves, even if it is the best one. So I'm offering a series of complimentary workshops to get the word out. The workshop will benefit beginners who want to generate monthly income trading the financial markets. Additionally, it'll benefit those who have no interest in trading but want to manage their long-term retirement accounts. And if you're an experienced trader who's struggling to generate consistent profits, this workshop's for you too. Admission is free for those who call 8448-INCOME right now. That's 844-846-2663. When you attend, you'll also receive five of our most popular home study courses absolutely free. Call 8448-INCOME now. Seating is limited. Call 844-846-2663 today. Hey, this is Gene from Second Wind Success. The boomers are here. You can't stop this silver tsunami. It's here, and this is your opportunity. If you'd like to learn how to turn a single-family home into a cash flow machine with residential assisted living, the Residential Assisted Living Academy is your opportunity. What we do is we show you how to turn a single-family home into a cash flow machine. To learn more, call 480-704-3065. That's 480-704-3065. Or come to our website at ralacademy.com. That's ralacademy.com. Independent Talk, 1100 KFNX. All right, welcome back, welcome back. This is Independent Talk, 1100 KFNX. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is Patrick Henningsen Live, and I'm here with my guest. He's an international correspondent for RT uh, International. He's based in New York, and also he's the author of a book just out this week, the 2016 elections and the crisis of American liberalism. I'm here with Caleb Maupin. And Caleb, uh, before the break, uh, you were just rounding out the uh, conversation about the the international left and uh, the, the the taking down of Libya as a nation state and how the uh, the the left the liberal left seem to be cheering for that. And this is just really indicative of this kind of transformation uh of politics uh so a break from what we've been used to for so many decades and we're into a kind of a new and uncharted territory it's a little bit chaotic uh uh caleb and uh, i was just actually watching the cnn town hall tonight and it was uh lindsey graham and uh, john mccain and without getting off too much on a tangent there um it, it was kind of strange watching these two that Lindsey Graham, kind of like a Harvey Corman type character, uh, flanked by a Mel Brooks uh, sort of uh, pastiche and John McCain. Very strange couple. Um, and they're kind of here off on the side. This, so this is the split in the Republican Party. You've got Donald Trump, uh, a, a, a kind of interloper in the Republican Party. Then you've got this sort of neoconservative flank here uh, with uh, John McCain and Lindsey Graham off doing their own little fireside chats off to the side and demanding bigger defense budgets and more aggression towards just about anybody you can put on the list. Um, so on the right, Caleb, um, we've got this kind of discord as well. Um, it, it, are they really together in the Republican Party in America, or is this is this a serious break here? Is this a major rift that's going to continue? I think we are at a, at a strange turning point. Now, one of the things I talk about in my book is let's go over the history of the Republican Party. When the Republican Party began back in the 1850s, it was a revolutionary, radical, you could pretty much call it a left-wing party. 
they took their name Republican from the from the Spring of Nations. That was all these protests all over all over Europe, all these uprisings and revolts that happened in 1848. Republican was a was a term that came out of the French Revolution. Uh, you you had a lot of open Marxists that were in the Republican Party back at that time. August Willett, Joseph Wedemeyer, the New York Tribune, which was the New York City Republican Party newspaper, actually had Karl Marx as its as its London correspondent. And this was a radical party. The slogan was "Free Land, Free Labor, Free Men." It was the party of the small farmers who didn't want slavery. It was the party of the labor unions. It was the party of the abolitionists. And it ultimately ended up, you know, leading a very, very radical, you know, upsurge that ultimately smashed the southern slaveocracy. So the Republican Party was a very radical party at one time, um, and and it it assumed the role of of conservative and and right wing. Um, mainly over the course of the 20th century, mainly in response to Roosevelt, when Roosevelt kind of became the radical left-wing figure and, and you know, created Social Security, created unemployment insurance, uh, hired millions of unemployed workers into the WPA and started building infrastructure. Um, and in response to that, the Republicans were the opposition, so they kind of became the place for, for more conservative elements. It's interesting, though, Trump did hammer home in his recent talk. He talked a lot about, in his recent speech, uh, he talked about infrastructure, and this this talk he wanted to spend one trillion dollars rebuilding the Midwest. I'm, does he mean that? That's what I'd like to know. I mean, if he meant that, if he really meant that he was going to spend a trillion dollars and build some high speed trains uh, connecting, you know, places like Ohio and Wisconsin and and these Rust Belt states to the, to the to the coasts, if he was going to you know build some new universities and colleges. If he was going to do something like that, I can imagine that he would definitely be reelected because that would make him very popular. You know, when you talk about the left-right divide, one thing that I have to tell people about: I was in, I was in Clinton County, Ohio, um, and while I was doing my reporting, we were just kind of interviewing people on the street. We saw an elderly woman being kicked out of her home. You know, here in Clinton County, Ohio, I guess she didn't, she didn't pay or whatnot, so the bailiffs were there and they were throwing all of her stuff out on the street. And and years ago. You know, years ago, back in the 1930s, when a family was being evicted from their home and the, the communists were in the neighborhood, they would go and they would bust the locks and put them back in. You know, the eviction fights, the unemployment councils was something that defined the political left. You know, the political left fought against home foreclosures. It, it fought, you know, it was worker wages now, fighters starved. That was what the left was prior to the Second World War. But nowadays, you know, when I, when I was in West Virginia... I, I interviewed a, a, a fellow who was a Trump supporter. I asked him why he voted for Trump. And he said, I voted for Trump because the Democrats don't care about the working man. They're a bunch of socialists. And I asked him, well, what is a socialist? Because, I mean, socialism has always been an identification with the worker, or the common man, the working class, the proletarian. But to him, a socialist was somebody on the universities who's having rallies for transgender bathrooms. You know what I'm saying? It's like the left has stopped being kind of about championing the common person, and it's become more of this kind of bohemian intellectual enclave. Um, and, and a lot of working-class folks don't feel comfortable with the political left. Uh, the left is something that they see as, as kind of something imposing on them. And the left is also something that they feel is not working to improve their living conditions. It's something that's trying to, like, shame them and tell them that they have too much privilege and that they need to think about people who have it less than them. And, and it, it's very odd, the dynamics that have changed. You know, at one point, you know, we're back to the CIA and Soros. There was a program developed by the CIA called the Congress for Cultural Freedom. And this was a, a CIA program started during the 1950s, 
and they essentially began funding left-wing art. You know, socialist, radical art was being funded by the CIA. They brag about this on their website. You could just Google Congress for Cultural Freedom. And they were doing it because they knew that, that so much of that was being aligned with the Soviet Union. So many of the people that were talking about socialism or, or radical ideas were, were Soviet-aligned. So to counter Soviet influence, the CIA started funding this kind of art. And I wonder if you can even see a continuation between that and, and some of the anti-Trump movement and George Soros and these color revolutions and the left cheering for the destruction of Libya and cheering for the, you know reducing uh, Syria to this civil war, calling it a, a glorious revolution and whatnot. I wonder if you can see a continuation in that kind of thinking. Because, because to assume, to assume that, that everyone in the police and the military and the whole political establishment are all just... Republicans is very, very naive. You know, there, 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 there are different strategies for maintaining the power uh, of the rich and the monopolies in the United States, and and some of those strategies are, are very, a, a very big part of the Democratic Party as well. And don't don't you think a lot of this is is a, a result? This transformation is is also a physical transformation because I think you alluded to this earlier. This idea of uh, you know the, uh, the the working man his ide- identification with uh, this socialist left, as it were. A lot of this was predicated on a kind of the job for life. In other words, you know, getting that union job and you pass it on to your son. This having one corporation as your employer pretty much for your whole life. That security that came with that, and then the pension afterwards. And as that is dissolving in America, we have this physical transformation in the workplace where that's really not there anymore. And doesn't that sort of this kind of pulled the rug out from under what used to be the the sort of the old Democrat or the old uh, Union Democrat or the old left? It's gone now. And so what's to re- there's nothing to replace it is my point. Um, that's that's kind of what I see. I don't know how how you've been to the you've been to West Virginia. You've been to all these um, you know coal centers and places where unemployment the jobs have just fled. Um, so you've had a kind of on the ground look at this. You know what is going to replace it? Will anything replace it? Are we heading into a technotronic era? Yes, I. That is a good question. One thing that has certainly replaced the good-paying jobs uh, is heroin addiction. Uh, oh. When I was in was in both West Virginia and when I was in Clinton County, Ohio, when I asked people what the biggest problem they had in the area was, they said heroin. Uh, that was that was the thing. Heroin addiction, opiate addiction, is everywhere across the Rust Belt states and. Uh, you know, at one point, you know, Afghanistan was not producing very much heroin at all. But after the government was toppled, after the Taliban was brought down, after the U.S. invasion, all of a sudden the world market was being supplied with huge, huge amounts of heroin. Um, and now Mexico has also joined in the in the heroin trade, and poppy fields are sprouting up in Mexico. Um, oh, and wow. this is this is a big growing problem: is that heroin addiction is 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 everywhere. And furthermore, the root of the problem ultimately started here, which is that is that doctors were over-prescribing painkillers. Uh, you know, they were being encouraged by the drug companies and whatnot to, to over-prescribe these opiate-based painkillers, which are very, very addictive. And so there are a lot of people who are dying uh, from heroin overdoses. It's, it's very, very common all over the country instead of having good-paying jobs. And the other thing that's rising right now is, you know, let's be real, the suicide rate in the United States is very, very high. And there are a lot of people who just don't feel like they have a future, uh, and they're very, very worried. And 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 you know, mental illness is through the roof. I mean, we're facing a catastrophic situation here in the U.S. I mean, uh, you know, a society-wide crisis. And I think that's where 
that's where Trump found his base of support was among people that are feeling hopeless, feeling like no one cares about them. You know, when I travel around the world, people often, you know, have, have this kind of fake image of the United States. And I tell them, if you turn on American television, about 90% of the time, all you're seeing is Southern California and New York City. But the USA is far, far bigger than that, you know. And there are a lot of people in the USA who've simply been left behind um, and, and are, are being ignored. And, and what future is there for them? Uh, and that's, that's, that's a question that's being played out. And you walk through the streets of New York City. I go out and interview people on the street all the time. You know, it, it's very hard to find a Trump supporter. And you'll find a lot of people who just can't wrap their minds around why anyone would support Donald Trump. But if you go to other states and you go to these areas where the steel mills have been closed down, you go to these areas where, where, where you know, there used to be, you know, auto plants that have shut down, you, you, it's the opposite. It's hard to find someone who doesn't like Trump. And uh, so getting back to um, the, look, education, okay, maybe there's a little bit of a crisis going on in terms of education. I'm not specifically talking about academic education, but, you know, in terms of the general knowledge of of the general public, and we talked about, you mentioned millennials uh, at the beginning of the show. One of the segments that I'll never forget, which I, you did, um, I've seen other reporters attempt this, but I think you did it really well. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this was when the travel ban, uh, Trump announced his travel ban a couple weeks ago, and you went out, and I, I don't know if it was you uh, or another reporter, but interviewed students uh, and asked them, Asked them what which countries are uh, included in this travel ban, and I think almost none of the uh, students out protesting against it n- could even name the seven countries uh, that were in the travel ban. Was that was that a report a segment you did? That was. I went to NYU. I, I was there in Washington Square Park, just around the NYU campus, and I was asking people, and I found very few people that could name the countries. There was one person I interviewed who told me they thought it was every Muslim country that was included in the ban. Um, and it, it was it was kind of awkward and 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 it was it was very odd and you can tell that you know that there's just an element of of with this hating Trump movement with this anti-Trump movement there's an element of of conformity. I also recently went to you know they had rallies here in New York City on President's Day. They were calling it not my President's Day. And I, I you know at the rally there were a number of people that had signs. In fact, I, I would say the signs divided into two categories. You had signs that were like feminism themed you know, about, about women's rights or calling out Trump for being a sexist. And then you had tr- had signs accusing Trump of having a relationship with Russia. They said things like, no Putin president, <laughs> you know, things to that effect. And and I'll, I'll never forget, you know, there were a number of people who had signs with hammers and sickles on them. And I said to them, I said, why, why do you have that sign on there? Do you think that Trump is a communist? And and they said to me, no, no, Trump is a fascist. And I said, well, that's the symbol of, of the country that defeated fascism, right? I, it's like there's just kind of this absence of knowledge. To them, the hammer and sickle is not the symbol of the Soviet Union. It's the symbol of big, scary Russian foreign country. Uh, you, you know, there's just that, like a, not, a lot of, not a lot of thought going into this. I mean, there is an organized political left that has taken action. There are people that are deeply concerned about, you know, Trump's statements in support of the police. They're worried about civil liberties being taken away, and they don't like him, you know, kind of giving a nod to the police. There's people who are worried about his moves on immigration and feel like and feel like that's certainly, you know, not the answer and putting undocumented workers under more threat. But then you have this current of people that are being organized by the Democratic Party. And what have they achieved? What has the anti-Trump movement achieved? So far, what they've done is 
is their big crowning victory, the first month of his presidency, the Stop Trump movement. What have they achieved? They've gotten the only person in the Trump administration who, who wasn't a, a solid war hawk and, wanted, and the only person who was on record wanting peace with Russia, they drove him out, Michael <laughs> Flynn. Yep. That's what they've achieved. That's what this movement, this, this, you know, this, so people who think this is just some kind of glorious up, uprising, they, 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 they're pushing Trump to be more hostile to, to the largest country in the world. Uh, this is is this is this is this an achievement? Uh, you know, especially for for people that want peace around the world and social justice. Yeah, I think in soccer they call that a known goal. But uh, so, but is also what do you what do you think about this? The, you see this bandied about uh, the the next Hitler. Trump is you see signs with Trump with the Hitler mustache at the protests, and you see this word fascism as well. Um, at what point, Caleb? Do you think? Um, is is this words or they've been diluted or they've lost you know they're devalued or let alone can anyone actually tell you what fascism is you've gone out in the street you've spoken to hundreds or thousands of people uh in the last year you know do, do people really understand what that term fascism means and it, i know it has a few different definitions depending on what historical perspective you're you're looking at that but it, it, it does it kind of cheapens it when it just becomes a kind of um, a bumper sticker. Uh, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? It's been reduced to, to being a slur. Uh, you know, people say, well, you're a fascist. I, you know, I'm reminded there's a lot of parallels between what's going on now with the anti-Trump movement and what happened in the early years of the Obama administration, right? Mm -hmm. It's very, very similar. If you, you know, the Tea Party, they had their signs, Obama is a Islamic, communist, fascist. <laughs> now you know you have you know the 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 the, the not my president's day and the anti-Trump movement and they have the same same message. Trump is a communist, Russian, fascist. And, you know they're just slurring people. They're just it, it it's kind of cheap, you know. Um, and it and and when it gets down to it, I feel like it's almost like both candidates were being being told basically you made promises during the campaign that are against the interests of Wall Street, and you better not keep them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's essentially the message that's being sent to both candidates. You know, people coming to town halls, loud disruptions, all kinds of things. And both, both newly elected presidents were being put on notice that if you step out of the script, uh, we're going to make some trouble for you. Um, and and it's, that's, that's kind of the situation that, that we're seeing here. Um, you know, I, and, and I also will say that there is a, a big level of arrogance when I interview a lot of people that are opposed to Trump, they, they seem to just assume that everyone who voted for Trump is, is ignorant, is a racist, is, and, and it's like there, there's no desire to, to figure it out. And, and you almost want to talk to them pragmatically speaking. It's like, okay, you oppose Trump's policies, but yet millions of people voted for him. Why do you think that is? And you just, if you just condemn them, if you just say, well, that's because they're bad, that's why they voted for him. Do you think you're going to win them with that? Do you think they're going to listen to you? Why would they listen to you then if you're just going to condemn them? Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's very it's a very strange thing. But but when it gets down to it, we're we're seeing, and this is all over the Western world. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing a, a growing crisis, and this is a global crisis. We're living in the aftermath of one of the greatest leaps in technology that we've ever seen. I mean, the computer revolution. Uh, you know, I mean, nowadays, you know, they used to have book binderies where people, you know, hundreds of people would work all day binding books. Now they have, like, print-on-demand services where, you know, a single book can be printed by pushing a button. I mean, we're living in a, in a new economy, and millions of people no longer have a place 
at the assembly line. Um, and, and, you know, all over the world, people are fleeing. Millions of people just don't have a place in this new economy. I think about, you know, how many young people now with college degrees are stuck working at some place like Starbucks, you know, or McDonald's, and they're sweeping floors, and, and they're miserable, you know? Uh, and, you know, there's so many young people who, who, who I meet who just, they just can't get their lives together because they can't get that good-paying job that used to be part of the American dream. You know, it used to be people without even a high school diploma could go and work in a factory, make enough to, to buy a house, have a car, put their kids through college. And now we're in a situation where a lot of young people are really, really feeling it. And this low-wage service sector economy, this rising police state, something's got to change. But as much as I tell people, you know, people, people often will talk to me about the political situation, political discourse in the U.S. getting more intense. I tell people, look, this is just getting back to normal. This is how it's always been. The United States started with a revolution. Let's not forget that, right? Uh, you know, there's a whole history of, of struggles, and, and when things get tough, Ordinary Americans have it within their heritage to fight back and demand that things change. I think the Trump election is one manifestation of widespread anger. The Sanders campaign was another manifestation of that anger. And that anger is not going to go away unless things get better. Now, Trump did emphasize that infrastructure thing. He said he was going to start building. But then he also said he was going to raise the military budget. Uh, he was going to increase the, mil- the military budget. Um, and he was also going to lower taxes on corporations. So where, where is this money going to come from? It's not exactly clear. But if Trump actually meant that, that he's going to rebuild the Midwest and do what Roosevelt did, where Roosevelt, you know, you know, hired the millions of unemployed people and put them to work building highways and airports and, and things to that effect, if he were to do something like that, I can guarantee you he would probably get reelected. All those people that, 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 are, that are young and can't get their lives together, give them a good-paying job you know, building highways and bridges and schools, and, and they'll vote for him. I know where the money's going to come from, Caleb. It's going to come from an increase in deficit spending. I can just see it now that the balloon, there's more elasticity left in that balloon, I think. Uh, but um, final final thoughts. Um, I, I had this conversation uh, with, with some people overseas uh, in the last week, and, you know, is it, this is your final thoughts on, on this, you know, is this, it's not a, a lot of people saying it's not about Trump himself, Donald Trump, the, the man, the president, the Republican president. It's, it's about the conditions, the conditions for change are from the, uh, the, 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 the discord. It's from the ripples, uh, in the pond. It's from the turbulence within the rifts. Uh, is there an opportunity for a sort of reevaluation that might lead to some positive change? to the current system you know in other words is is trump creating the conditions for some major changes not from him from, not from the man himself but from this kind of unsettling uh political uh climate we have right now i i think you know trump is a great example of the fact that the discourse is changing you know uh, the access to information that people have is far greater than it used to be and people are people are able you know they, they sure they still listen to the mainstream media but they have access to alternative media as well, and they can get a second opinion. And there are millions of Americans who know that at this time, you know, the, the U.S. government is, is essentially on the wrong side in Syria. They're arming Wahhabi extremists trying to bring down a secular government that's trying to modernize the country. And there are millions of Americans who know that uh, because they have access to information. And, and it's, it's a lot harder to lie to people than it used to be. I, you know, the fact that, that you remember back in 2013, Obama was gonna, gonna send 
cruise missiles and, and just essentially, you know, bomb Syria. And public opinion was so wildly against it. And the international community was so wildly against it. And they had to back down. And I think that's kind of a sign of the times that we're living in. You know, people, people just don't buy it the way that they used to and they don't have to. And people are looking for answers. Um, but I don't think those answers are going to come from any outdated playbook. And whether that outdated, outdated playbook comes from the right or from the left, you know, history is marching forward. People are looking for answers. Um, and I think that, I think things are, are looking to change. Now, one thing that I will say is, is a widespread sentiment that Trump certainly did not seem to agree with is everywhere I went in this country, no matter who I spoke to, white or black, their feeling was they're taking away our rights. Our freedoms are being stripped away. You know, the police are everywhere. The police are kicking down doors. I heard about this no-knock raid in my neighborhood. This is all white neighborhoods in West Virginia people are telling me this, that the police have too much power. Um, and that seemed to be a very widespread sentiment, no matter who you talk to. Now, the media would like to frame that like that's a black thing, right? Black Lives Matter and all that. But that would, that's, that's all over the country. There's distrust and frustration, the belief that, that our rights are being taken away, the government is out of control, distrust of law enforcement. Trump, you know, during his campaign, he expressed nothing but kind of admiration, you know, support for the police, respect. But that didn't seem to be the feeling on the ground. There seems to be a feeling that not only are our wages too low, not only are, is the standard of living dropping, but our rights are disappearing and the freedoms that kind of define us as Americans are being taken away. And I wonder how that sentiment is going to be addressed. Wow. Well, the book is The 2016 Elections, The Crisis of American Liberalism. Author is Caleb Malpin, and you can also get more information about him at calebmalpin.info. There'll be links on the show page uh, on the uh, the Internet uh, episode, which will be coming up shortly online. But thank you so much, Caleb, uh, for your time and insights. Sure. Thank you. And I uh, hope to have you again on the show. Great discussion. A lot to learn here. We'll see you next week, same time, 9 p.m. Mountain Mountain Standard Time here on Independent Talk KFNX. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Patrick Henningsen Live. Until next week, visit 21stCenturyWire.com. I'll make our government open and transparent. Tired of being lied to by Washington? Tired of being hoodwinked by the mainstream media? The press is so dishonest. Then go to 21stCenturyWire.com for the very best U.S. and international news and analysis. Also for premium reports, podcasts, videos, and documentaries, subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv. Visit www.21stCenturyWire.com. It's time. Since 2009, 21st Century Wire has been a trusted source of alternative news with opinion, analysis, investigative reports, and features covering stories from North America to Europe to the Middle East and globally. In the last two years, we've grown dramatically. This year, we're expanding our programming and our reporting and adding to our team of dedicated contributors. But we need your help. There is a way you can support us. Go to 21wire.tv and click on 21wire membership to find out more about how you can help support our platform by subscribing and becoming a member. In return, we promise to keep it independent and keep it real. But that's not all. 
by subscribing to 21wired.tv. Members will get access to more premium content, like virtual private screenings of new documentaries and short films, and get inside access to members' podcasts, like On the QT with Patrick Henningsen. And also, you can see our new morning commute show, Drive by Wire with Sean Helton, as well as our new geopolitical current affairs series, Insight, shot in high definition. By becoming a member, you're also helping to support the Sunday Wire radio show, as well as all our great reporting at 21stCenturyWire.com. There's more. Members will also gain access to our fortnightly Members Situation Report newsletter, as well as special discounts on all 21 Wire merchandise up at our online store, Shop 21. Subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv. Hey, thanks. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight for Patrick Henningsen Live in its new time slot there. It looks like, uh, I think that's going to be the ongoing new time slot there. So an hour later than you might be used to. Uh, thanks, everybody, all you brave folks hanging out in the ACR chat room tonight. Don't forget to join us tomorrow for Boiler Room number 99, hosted by yours truly, Hesher. I'll have Spore here with me. And maybe Randy J, maybe some Jay Dyer, maybe some No Wiki for you. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I haven't got any confirmations yet, but uh, rest assured it will be fun. And we'll see you guys tomorrow night for Boiler Room, which airs at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, 2 a.m. Early Friday morning in the U.K. 